0: Each of the pieces that you see hanging in front of you, there's 18 segments. And each of these pieces is a piece of handmade paper made from pulp, bed sheets, and t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, you know, the normal paper that we use, we think of writing on top of. Um, but this is a paper that I made intentionally to hang in this space. Um, and embedded in it are colors and textures. All of that is in advance. Nothing is on top of the paper. It's not a surface to um, write on top of. It's, it's a material that sort of holds it all in the way it was made. Um, I have little cheat sheets. Uh, the the, the it is predominantly white, it's predominantly made of white bed sheets, but there are um, colors in the piece that you can see from the interior, and I'll talk more about that later, but what I want you to know is that those colors are actually different colored um, fabrics that have been pulped, and I'm sort of painting with them wet into wet as I'm forming the paper. So, um, and if you look really closely, you can see in the colors, um, they are actual different colored fibers coming together. Um, and the the materials that I choose, there's always like a gathering process in the materials that I work with. And it has a, a two-part reasoning. One, I'm definitely, as an artist, aware of the ecological impact of the materials I choose to work with. And two, uh, I'm choosing materials that I believe sort of hold memories and experiences and that when I'm transforming them into a piece of work, those materials and memories, although not laid right out for you, they, they sort of carry into the piece. Or that's my hope, that those, those things kind of whisper to you or, or make you stay longer with the piece. Um, and so just a little insight into the process of how I make the work, once I've gathered the um, fabrics, the bed sheets and the t-shirts that I work with, um, the first thing that I do is I, I rip the fabric down. And so I'm ripping all of the seams, I'm ripping out the buttons, I'm ripping them into smaller panels of fabric uh, that I then cut down into very small pieces. And that, that moment of, of ripping something, I have to say, um, that's a, a powerful moment for me. Um, uh, I, I, I have been ripping things apart to make new things for a long time uh, but when my father passed away and I sort of I went through the steps of mourning in the Jewish tradition with um, saying goodbye to him I was really struck by the tradition by the graveside. Today we um, safety pin a black ribbon on our, over our left side, over our heart, that has a small cut in it, but the much older tradition was to actually render, to tear your clothes over the left side, specifically not on a seam, and that act was an um, act of exposing one's heart in times of grief. And when the mourning period is done, the, um, this, the tear can be sewn back up and to show that there's been some healing but still like a mark remains. So the tearing down of fibers is really important for me. Um, and I really, to, to take a simple material, I, so I soak it, and I, I cut it into small pieces, I soak the pieces and then I have a beating process for beating down um, the fibers into a pulp. It's basically like a really powerful blender meets mallet kind of process, and I I make them into a pulp. And then I lay the pulp down flat onto a textured surface. um, And I'm working both monochromatically, but inserting colors, like almost painting with the different colored t-shirts pulp. Um, And then I hand press everything down. So it's all by hand. And the reason I'm just emphasizing this is because my mom came to see the sculpture a week ago, and she was like, I don't know if everybody knows you made this by hand, so um, <laughs> I just wanna share, it's, it's a long process, it's very hands-on. I'm also, in a way, working face down and wet on wet, so although I feel like I understand my materials and, and I'm, I'm always learning from them, there's still always something that I can't control about them, both because they're watery and because I'm sort of the face down component, component, I'm working backwards and sort of upside down. Um, so I've been working this way for quite some time but not on this scale in a very long time and in May of 2016, Pierre-Francois and Rennie reached out and sent me a book of Jewish folk tales which is sort of the guiding principle for the whole show. Um, keep in mind, in May of 2016, we were deep in the presidential election And so I went in reading these stories and I came across this one story called The Bird of Happiness. Um, If you want to listen to the whole story, um, there's a a setup for you to listen to a storyteller telling it. But the very abbreviated version is that um, a young man and his parents, I believe they had actually escaped slavery and they were wandering the desert, um, really in quite a state of hopelessness, searching for food and water. A big storm comes and it erases all their footprints in the stand, so they no longer know where they came from or where they were trying to get to. And the bird of happiness sort of appears and and drops this amulet um, on a leather strap to the young boy named Aaron. And this necklace um, leads Aaron and his family to the capital, to Jerusalem. And there they find that, the king has passed away, and that this necklace has brought them there so that Aaron could become the next king. Um, and everybody's very suspicious of this young man with no formal education, coming with no means, and he, now he's here to, to lead this country, but they find that he makes very, uh, so many wise decisions. Um, But yet, they're still a little skeptical of him. And the senior advisor notices, you know, he's built a shack next to the um, palace out of very simple materials, out of tree limbs, I believe, and branches. And he asks the the young king, he asks Aaron, what are you doing in that shack every day? And it turns out that Aaron is going into the shack. um, And in the shack, he has a mirror and the rags he arrived at the um, palace in and he puts the rags back on and stares in front of the mirror in order, and looks at himself in the mirror to remember where he came from in order to move the country forwards. And so this is all happening during the campaign, and and yes, I was already working with rags, so I was excited to have that material to continue working with, but this story of leadership and humility and long-term perspective was something that I needed. the story of the shack really made me want to create the space, the mirror really gave me the idea to have this reflective space, although not wanting to actually use a mirror. Um, and I also was really thinking, um, although I, folk tales I feel like are really important, I'm actually not interested in stories about kings or you know heroes, I'm, I'm much more interested in the things that are hard to make stories about, which are complicated networks of people that really support each other, and out of that, somebody rises to the top, and then history can tell that simple story. But I'm much more interested in that complicated network that goes mostly um, invisible in the history books. And so um, I'll start just by talking for a second about the composition and then the positions and then. Um, So there's a few ways in which this is a reflected space. Um, The architecture, the actual shapes are reflected. So these are almost mirror images. The exterior forms and also the interior, more organic shapes are um, reflected in each other. There's a, a repeating pattern of colors, of like dominant colors. So on the outer, the layer most facing in is neon yellow. Uh, This has all the colors in the layers behind it. And so in the next layer, the neon yellow drops out and the brown comes forward. And the next layer, the green drops out. And it goes all the way to the back. Can I touch it since it's my? um, (laughs) the, The dominant color is only the red. But you can see if you look closely, there's some of the neon yellow from that first layer as if the whole cycle could start again. Um, So it's reflected in both the shape, the colors, and then also you'll see there's this repeating pattern of nine points interconnected with nine points. And so that's a perfectly symmetrical diagram in theory, both vertically and Wait, vertically and horizontally um, so there's a few different ways in which the piece is symmetrical and reflected but it's littered with imperfections and all these interruptions when you get closely you can see that the diagram um, the lines are often cut by intersecting organic forms um, but I thought about this diagram and I've been working with it thinking about nine points intersecting nine points, that there's so many intersecting connections that even when the lines are interrupted, it's like a resilient form that can hold. So for me, it feels hopeful in a way. Um, And then the other thing is the space is open for anybody to enter into. So this leadership, leadership role is available for any of us, regardless of where we come from, our background, for anybody to stand in. And when you're standing in here, um, you're surrounded in a way by many, many people, um, or at least things that have come in contact with many people. And the other thing is that this is not um, a monolithic piece. This is not an immovable shack so or an immovable space. So if just by walking around the piece, um, the perspective of the person in the center is shifted by the movement of the people around him or her. And that was really important to me in terms of thinking about leadership or what I hope for that to be. One thing that I was so excited about the placement is that when you walk, and I encourage you to to walk all around, but that when you walk from here, that it feels like a more solid piece. And as you slowly walk around, it sort of falls apart and opens up. And I have to say, knowing that people would circle 360, I paid as much attention to the texture on the front as the texture on the back. And you'll see there's some actual embedded, torn, oops, torn bed sheets on the back to sort of allude to the materials that they're coming from. And also as a way of um, really resisting flatness. And I know know in the museum the code is to not touch it, um, to not touch the work, but I really want to make something that makes you want to touch it. Um, which is not fair, but, um, but there's something, and I, I have to say, this sort of like refusal to be flat, um, you know, that, that was an experience that I had. I used to make flat paper. But it was interesting, you know, I'm not interested in perfect surfaces, either for our skin or for our bodies. I'm, I'm interested in how a surface accumulates stories and memories and sort of maps itself. Um, and that's been through my own personal experiences and also um, the stories that I'm drawn to, the people that I'm drawn to who are, can be open about those experiences that sort of shift them. If you walked around this piece and, and picked up on none of that um, and had your own experience with the piece, that works for me too. There, There's a lot of room in here I f- to have that, your own experience, which is important to me.